We're going to dive right into the scripture this morning. Uh, we've been in this series for uh, three weeks now. If you're, if you're a first-time guest um, and you haven't been with us, we've been looking at art all summer long and using art as a medium through which to look at scripture um, to help us, um, help God in the Spirit illuminate scripture for us in new, new ways. And we are in this last kind of third mini-series in which we've been looking at um, the prophets and we've been using disruptive art art that stirs us to action, art that calls us to, to move, calls us to do something, calls us to change the way either we look at the world or to change the world itself with the power of the Spirit. And so we're going to go to a text that's very familiar to a lot of us. If, you, if it's not familiar to you, that's perfectly okay. Um, if you stick around in church for a while, you'll probably hear it again at some point. It's the probably the most famous passage from the prophet Ezekiel, um, and it's a very stirring image um, it's often referred to as the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. And so it's a text from uh, the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 14. Hear now for the word of God. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and you will and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and they were covered and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people." I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, come and stir us in this place. Breathe your breath into us. Breathe your breath into these words, these words that sometimes have grown dry because we've heard them so much. Bring them back to life. 
fill our minds, fill our hearts, and fill our days so that your spirit may be in us, but also move through us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, I was having dinner uh, with a group of friends, uh, and I thought about this story this week. It's the first time I've thought about it in a while. But it was, this was probably five or six years ago, and I was having a dinner with a couple of people, a couple people that were new to me, a couple of people that were old friends, and we got around the conversation of what's the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? And so Spencer, this guy I didn't know at all until that dinner, began to tell this story uh, and Spencer shared that he was in college, and then during one of the summers, he had an internship in New York. And so he went up to New York and lived up there, and he would spend most of his free time in art museums because he was studying art. And so one day, Saturday afternoon, he went to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, and he spent all day kind of going through different galleries, and he came into this one gallery that was an interactive gallery, and so he walked up to this exhibit where there was a bunch of different pieces of metal that were all scattered on the floor and people had like played with them and everything and they were stacked up and leaning against each other and you can move the pieces around. It was like, I don't know if you remember, um, there used to be in like the 90s and early 2000s, there used to be paperweights that were like magnets and they had little pieces of metal that you could bend to design and shape. It was like something they sold out the checkout line at Sharper Image. It was like, not, I mean, it was just kind of this useless little toy to play with, I guess, while you're bored. But it was one of those on a large scale. And so Spencer began to play with it and began to build this all together until about 90 seconds into his like creative moment and energy, he was rudely interrupted. A security guard tackled him to the floor while another security guard ran around the other side and twist-tied his hands behind his back, and he was swept out of the gallery, out of the emergency exit, down kind of a fire escape, and was led to a back room of, the, uh, of MoMA. And he sat there for an hour, not really realizing what he had done. Clearly, people had been playing with this, and he had, you know, did he bring, like, a Coke into the exhibit and wasn't supposed to? Did he, like, park his uh, bike somewhere where he wasn't supposed to? So he sat there for an hour having no idea what he had done until about an hour into this kind of waiting with his, again, his arms still twist tied behind his back until the artist came bursting in. The artist had a very heavy accent, don't remember where it was from, but began to berate him for how could you do this, this mouse, how could you destroy this, how could you do this, how could you, uh, who do you work for? He thought Spencer was up to, like, you know, part of a conspiracy against him. And he had no idea what was going on. When at the time that Spencer told this story, he still has a lifetime ban to MoMA. <laughs> He's not allowed to go back because this was not an interactive art gallery. It was a piece of art that he just walked up to and single-handedly destroyed in about 30 seconds. He pulled the pieces apart. And that was his most, that's a pretty good embarrassing moment. But as he stood there with the wreckage kind of all around him, I thought a little bit, I thought about that story because I thought about this passage of scripture. I was, we were reading about the valley of dry bones and the idea of bones being scattered all over the place. And I thought back to Spencer and the idea of a man standing there in the wreckage of what once was a beautiful creation. Standing there and looking around and seeing the pieces of, once, of what once had been. 
and it harkened back to this idea of the valley of dry bones. And I began to think a little bit about this. I think it was just the metal and the bones maybe lining up together and that looking like a similar image. But I want to give you a little bit of background to this story of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is a prophet to the people of Judah, and it's during their time of exile Judah had been eventually overthrown by the Babylonians. Jerusalem had been destroyed. They had been kicked out. And essentially all the Babylonians had moved the, um, the wealthy, the upper tier, the upper crust of society and forced them into exile. Ezekiel had been a prophet and an advisor to the upper echelon of society. So he too is in exile so part of Ezekiel's life is spent prophesying about what may come, the destruction of Judah, and then part of it is prophecy about how things may go and how they may return back to Jerusalem. But it's important to understand that Ezekiel is not just prophesying to a people that have been exiled, he's among them. He feels the pain just as much as they do. He feels the sense of being lost in exile, of being in a foreign land, held in captivity, kind of wandering around, wondering where is God? What is God going to do? When are we going to be restored to the place where we were once from? If you read this passage of Scripture, you can hear Ezekiel's pain when he describes these bones he talks about the bones, and obviously bones are a symbol of death. We can kind of pick up on that pretty quickly. But he doesn't just say that they're, that they're just any ordinary bones. He describes the bones in kind of two distinct ways. He says the bones were very dry. Very dry, that's code for these bones are really, really dead. They're not just kind of dead, these are really dead. They've been dead for some time now. But he also says that the bones were scattered. And if you can picture that a little bit, bone skeletons having become scattered, kicked around, stepped on, kind of in the way. It's almost as if people who are walking across them don't even notice that they're there anymore. They're, they're once, they once were a person, but now they're nothing more than bones. And maybe there's some protruding bones up from the sand and from the gravel. This isn't a description of a death that's just occurred. This is the description of a people who have experienced, been experiencing death over and over and over again to the point where death is no longer a, an acute pain, but a numbness. You just step on the bones and you kick them out of the way. It's when death becomes kind of part of the new cycle of that society. Death is a, much a part of the landscape as the stones or as the dirt around them. It's interesting to think about um, that story of MoMA, of Spencer and MoMA, because yes, I thought a little bit about the fact that the bones and the metal probably look alike, and that's what stirred the original image. But then I thought about the creator, and I thought about it from the artist's perspective, and how when that artist saw the destroyed artwork that he had done, Artwork that he had spent so much time and probably loved and adored. And in just a careless act, a reckless act, it was destroyed. The type of pain that that artist might have felt. The type of pain, now it's just nothing but bones. Scraps of metal. And the artist began to wonder, how are we ever going to put this back together again? 
How are we ever going to bring art back into these ruins? How are we going to bring life back into this death? In the story of Ezekiel, God looks at Ezekiel and says, me and you, we're going to partner to make this thing happen. And so God pulls Ezekiel back into this story. It's not just God acting. God calls Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I'm going to ask you to do something rather interesting, rather illogical. I'm going to ask you to prophesy to these bones. The irony is, you know, you know this, bones can't hear, bones can't comprehend, bones are inanimate dead objects. What good is that going to do? The irony being is that Ezekiel has been prophesying to things that won't listen and can't hear his whole life. He's been prophesying to people who fail to hear and to comprehend to the point where now all that's left are bones. Ezekiel prophesies to bones, prophesies to these inanimate objects. It's illogical, but it's not unfamiliar. There's a history of this in Scripture. Joshua and his people marched around Jericho and began to yell and to shout at a wall until the wall came tumbling down. Moses, in a way, kind of prophesies to waters by parting his hands over waters, and the waters begin to part. Even in the New Testament, Mark reminds us if if we believe that a mountain will move, we can cause a mountain to move if we only believe and trust that it will. There are modern-day people who still do this. There's a professor at Duke, a preaching professor, who will go and preach to the prisons and preach to these institutions that hold people. He's not preaching at the prison. He's literally preaching to the prison, saying, you will one day fall. You will one day be destroyed, and there will be no more of you. He preaches to these inanimate objects, and that's exactly what Ezekiel does too, because that's all there's left for Ezekiel to do. Ezekiel can't just go to God and say, God, do something. God turns back to Ezekiel and says, you do something. Turn around and speak into your moment. Turn around, speak to the bones. Speak to those things that you think aren't listening. Keep speaking. Tell them to come alive. Say to them, death, no more. Your time is done. Speak, Ezekiel. Say something. You must act. To an onlooker, you can imagine if somebody were watching Ezekiel standing in a field speaking to bones. You kind of chuckled a second ago when we think about a preacher preaching to a prison. To the onlooker, to the outside world, I mean, to everyone that's a critic, they might say, that's ridiculous. What little act is that going to do? How are you possibly going to bring about change by just speaking to something that's not listening or continuing to speak to something that won't hear you? Do you really think that that small task is going to do anything? But you and I know this, and the story continues, is that that's not all that Ezekiel does. Ezekiel doesn't just prophesy to bones. Ezekiel also calls upon God to act. The language that's used in the text is, um, is the one for wind. It's the Hebrew word ruah. Ezekiel says ruah come from the four winds, come from all different angles, from, come from the four corners of earth and fill these bones. Because all the work that Ezekiel has done to put the bones together, they're still not alive. It's not enough. 
his action isn't enough. He has to call upon God to also intervene. So he calls upon the Ruah, which, is, which can be translated as wind or as spirit or as breath. Come and fill these bones. In the face of death, when human action is no more, when human action isn't enough, we, you and I both know, we both know that human action requires us to call upon God as well. To say, come Holy Spirit, fill this place. God, take over. We can't do but so much. Let's work together. God, there's nothing more for us to do. Come Holy Spirit, fill this place. The story of Ezekiel is the story of the valley of dry bones, but it's where bone meets breath. Where action and tangible words spoken in reality right now meet the Holy Spirit. It's where the two become one and a result is new life. Restored life. The resurrection of a destroyed creation. To the people right now in society that are saying, sending her thoughts and prayers, we're sending you thoughts and prayers, but they never do anything about it. They never take action. They never speak directly to the bones. I hope they read this story. Ezekiel has to speak. Ezekiel has to move and do something. But to those people who say, stop it with the thoughts and prayers, Stop it with calling out to God and do something. I hope that they hear this story too. Because it's not about Ezekiel putting it back together. It's about God using Ezekiel to help restore life. Ezekiel prophesies to the bones and he calls upon the spirit. Ezekiel acts and he prays. What I love most about Ezekiel is that this whole passage you probably noticed is written in first person. It's written in a way that you say, I, when you read this, and I called, God sent me, I spoke, I commanded the bones to prophesy. It's a way in which we, it's a gift to us, really, to, to be able to read this passage of Scripture in times like this, because it puts us in the story. It puts us right in the middle of Ezekiel's situation, where you look upon the valley of dry bones and you wonder, what are we going to do? And it's there that we begin to act and we begin to pray. In our own story right now, as God, the creator, surveys the, the, the ruin and the wreckage, and our cry is sometimes falling upon deaf ears, maybe it's not the bones that we're supposed to prophesy to right now. Maybe it's the guns. Maybe we're at a point where we just have to speak to the guns. We have to say something to them. And it might seem ludicrous and it might seem insane. Maybe we're called to prophesy to the guns and to call upon God to take over. God, use our words and our actions to bring forth life. Let me give you an example of how this is done. It sounds ludicrous, but let me give you an example. Um, a friend of mine from seminary uh, is a pastor in her first, she just finished her first year like me, um, in Saluda, South Carolina, rural South Carolina. Uh, it is, yeah, it's rural. So she's out there and she has a two-point charge, meaning she has two very small churches. She is a 
avid hunter. She grew up hunting her entire life. She hunts, I mean, a deer, she hunts turkey, she hunts, uh, she doesn't really do any fowl, but she does deer and turkey, um, and she's done boar, wild boar hunting as well. She appreciates the Second Amendment. She appreciates guns. There's an element of her that she recognizes that guns are, you know, they're, they're not all bad. She's an avid gameswoman, but she also grew up as a person with depression and with suicidal thoughts as a kid. And so living in a house where there were guns right beside her during these times of suicidal thoughts, it wasn't a good mix. And it's still not a good mix. So Hillary Taylor, Reverend Hillary Taylor, um, this past week on Tuesday, decided to launch this buy, gun buyback campaign where she said, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to take anybody's guns. I just, what I'm trying to do is prevent people who have suicidal depression thoughts, getting them away from guns, making sure that there's a, a healthy distance between the two. So she begins to offer her community, her little county, $200 gift certificates to anyone that will come in and surrender their gun. $200 gift certificates to Walmart. And what is going to happen is that she begins to get these guns in. She's going to send them to an organization called rawtools.org. You can go rawtools. You can go visit them, rawtools.org. It's an organization by Shane Claiborne where they are literally taking guns and they're turning them into literal gardening tools. Swords to plowshares. Hillary is prophesying to the guns in Saluda County saying, no more death. You're done. You're going to be transformed into life. But it's because she called upon God and said, God, take over. God, fill this place. And because of that, there's going to be life. There's going to be swords to plowshares. There's going to be death to life and resurrection in Saluda, South Carolina. Let's pray. Living God, you give us dreams and visions of a world that is strong and gentle, brave, and good. And we pray in these troubled times for a fresh descent of your Holy Spirit upon this, your church. Help us to offer our witness and our prayers and our hearts and our minds in the great effort to curb gun violence in our country, in our world. And we pray that you, O oh God, will comfort hurting hearts, heal injured bodies, calm traumatized spirits, strengthen weak resolve, and give to this community and this nation a renewed will to heal division among us. Gracious God, use your church in this time as an instrument of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ our Lord. With penitent and expectant hearts, we offer this prayer. Amen. So we're going to do a very different liturgy this morning. Uh, as you know, we've been in this series about art, um, and we've been talking a lot about art, but we haven't really done it ourselves. And so on this last Sunday, before we wrap up next week, um, we're going to do something a little bit different than what we've done 
um, we're going to do a liturgy with sticky notes, with post-it notes. Um, and what we're going to invite you to do is we're going to ask you to take a couple of sticky notes. They're going to start passing these around in just a second. Take a couple of sticky notes, and we're going to give you two prompts. And we're going to ask you, in the way, same way that Ezekiel both calls upon God but also prophesies to the bones, the same way that Hillary Taylor pro called upon God but prophesies to the guns, we're going to ask you to do the same. We're going to ask you in this liturgy, the, the prayers of the people are going to be us praying to God, saying, God, come into this space. And you can design a sticky note however that best represents your prayer. You can write the prayer, you can color it in, you can design it, whatever it may be. That first one is to God. That second one, in a little artistic twist, is going to be, is going to be what do you say to the gun? What do you say to the gun? What do you prophesy to the guns? We're going to ask you to do that for about 15, for about 10 minutes or so. It's not going to be a full 15 minutes, but about 10 minutes or so. And it's going to be a time of prayer and a time of reflection. Uh, almost uh, both a memorial service to the people who have passed away, but also a celebration that God can transform and God brings about new life. Hold on to those sticky notes when you get them, because we're going to ask you to come up and put the one to God on this corner when you come up for communion. And we're going to ask you to put the other one to the gun here as you leave, as a reminder that it requires action as well. Praying to God, going out and acting. So we're going to give you about 10 minutes to do that. There should be passing around sticky notes this time and, and uh, pens. And we'll give you a time to enter into this space of liturgy, the work of the people, the prayers of the people before our living God. stand with us and we'll sing this last song together. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You are speaking truth to power. You are laying down our swords, replanting every vineyard till a brand new wine is poured. Your peace will make us one.
I'm going to ask the ushers on the way out the door to be there with offering baskets. I recognize we didn't do that during the service. Some may have dropped it off, but they'll be there. As you go from this place, remember this story, the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones. It's the story where breath meets bone, where action meets prayer, where we hold these two things together as the people that believe that God has the power to overcome death. We know that with certainty. Now go into this place, go into this time, into this valley to be those people in the confidence of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.